Hi, my name is Clint Mackey. And I'm Shanda Mackey. We first started coming to Bethany and what brought us here, uh, we were looking for churches and a home church that we could find ourselves in. And so Sunday morning um, before that, we just decided to try Bethany. And we, as we walked through the doors, we were uh, very warmly greeted. Um, definitely felt like a home place, a home church. Their children's ministry, uh, we definitely felt that was important to them. And with us wanting to have kids uh, in the near future, that was definitely important to us as well. Myself being more of an introvert, I felt like whenever I came, I was warmly greeted and people welcomed me and had bright smiles. And um, as I sat down, I felt like I was safe. For me, part of the riskiness or uh, risk factor, if you will, to go and find people, um, a lot of people look at it and think, oh, well, I've got to go to Haiti or the Dominican or overseas, but there's so many people here in our own community that is lost or seeking something, and they may not even know what it is, but as Christians, we definitely do. Um, so that's what we've been called to do as Christians, you know, is to, to reach out, to find that person in your workplace or um, in your family and just reach out to them and talk to them and just say, hey, why don't you come join me some Sunday? You know, this is a place that you can definitely feel welcome, a place that you will feel loved, and a place that you're gonna hear the gospel, the truth. If we can bring one person in, and that person comes in here, and you can see that start to multiply, because then they'll invite a friend, that, oh, hey, you gotta come check out this place. It's so urgent to reach our friends, I think, and our family and whoever, the community for Jesus, because it's like you say, um, one sin or a million sins, we're all in need of a savior. So um, I think it's super important and urgent. Us as Christians, we have Christ. We have the answer for eternity, not just for this life here on the earth, but we have it for eternity. Why would we not want to share it? There's no greater joy than reaching that one person. You know, if we would all reach one person um, there's going to be so many more in heaven. There's going to be people that's it's going to start a flame in them and maybe their family and their co-workers. I mean, the road's endless where it goes when we bring that one person in. And it's definitely urgent, you know, because like I said, we are not promised tomorrow. And you never know when you're going to breathe your last breath. So who is that one person? Who's that one person that you have influence on that does not know Jesus, that's, that's running from Christ, that spends their days searching for fulfillment uh, in a world that really isn't going to fulfill. Who is that coworker or that neighbor? Who's that family member? Who's that friend that you've identified? Who is the one person that you would do anything for them to come to know Jesus? Who is it? You know, if you weren't here with us last week, um, Matt, our lead minister, um, challenged us uh, to define who our one is and to invite them to church, to invite them to worship in this place here at Bethany. And we gave you a Coke bottle. Some of you, if you weren't here with us last week, you saw there are Coke bottles and little booklets in the back. If you haven't gotten one of those yet, we want you um, to take one of those. That Coke bottle represents that one person. 
We ask you to put it somewhere um, that you would see it daily. Maybe that's in the refrigerator. Some of you go to the refrigerator a lot throughout the day, um, so you're going to see it a lot uh, throughout the day. Maybe uh, the refrigerator is uh, not the place for you, but you're going to put it on your nightstand, or you're going to put it uh, in the bathroom, or you're going to take it to the office with you and set it on your desk. We just want you to put that in a place where it's a reminder to you, maybe to pray for that person. A reminder to step out and to talk with that person. And we set a special day for you to invite them to join you for worship here at Bethany. So on September the 16th, we want that one to come with you. And we believe that they're going to do, you're going to do just that. You're going to invite those people. So much so that we believe we need to add a, another service here on Sunday the 16th. So we're going to have our 9, our 10.30, and our noon, but we're also going to have a 6 p.m. service You know, this auditorium, when it's full, can hold right around 500 people. If everybody that regularly attends this place of worship invited their one, we could have over 2,000 people worshiping with us on a Sunday morning. Man, that's that's a huge opportunity for us, and we believe you're going to do that, so that's why we want to offer that uh, that fourth service on the 16th. And whenever you uh, that person joins you for worship, we want you to crack open that Coca-Cola and to enjoy it. Now, Matt shared with us a story of, uh, of a man that, uh, a friend of his that he had brought to the Lord. His name was James last week, and, and Matt waited until James um, gave his life to the Lord in baptism to drink and enjoy his Coca-Cola. We're telling you this, you enjoy it when they come and join you for worship. So here's my hope. My hope is that on the 16th, there are a lot of empty Coke bottles after service that you guys have drank. And if not, if your person doesn't come, you keep encouraging them and you keep um, walking to them. You know, Matt said that it was like two years later that he drank that Coke and it was like flat and stale. And that was all right. There's nothing wrong with that. We want you to hold on to that Coke until that moment that that person comes and worships in this place with you. And we want you to celebrate that one coming to the Lord. Now, if you've been reading along in that reading plan, that's the little white booklet that's beside those Coke bottles, so make sure you grab one of those, and if you don't have one yet, make sure you catch up with us and, and do it. And some of you are saying, well, I only read like two days this week. That's all right. Just keep tracking. Read a, read a couple extra ones in the next few days, or, or just track along as, at the pace that you can. Um, but that re, in that reading devotion, um, there was uh, one day, day three, that talked about putting ourselves in a sphere. It said, think about like a ball, for instance, right? Um, At the center of the ball is, uh, well, every point, whether up or down, left or right, to the side, to the back, they all, well, they all are the same distance from the center. Now, it said, picture yourself in the center of the sphere. Your influence is inside of that place, right? And that's what's meant by the sphere of our influence. Your sphere of influence might be your home, or your work, it might be your school, it might be a sports team, it might be clubs, it might be some sort of special group uh, that you're a part of. But for me, I would say that there is no question that your one lies within the sphere of influence that you have. Now let me ask you this, what do a coffee shop, a sports bar, a, a little league field, and a church have in common? No, this is not some sort of joke. They don't wait for the punchline right here, all right? These four places, along with a variety of other places, are where we have conversations on a regular basis. Conversations and talks with likely some of those ones about feelings and opinions and beliefs, don't we? 
I mean, everyday matters. We all have hundreds or even thousands of conversations on a regular basis. What are those conversations? Who have you spoken with over the last week and what you talk about? Maybe you talked about the Colts, uh, right? Football season is, uh, you know, at least the NCAA kicked off, right? Maybe you're talking about Andrew Luck's surgically repaired arm, what they're going to look like out on the field um, and, and how that's going to work out. Maybe you converse, converse with somebody about how excited you were that school has started. And students, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about your parents. because They're like, thank goodness school started, right? Maybe you've had the conversation about politics and Mr. Trump, who doesn't have an opinion on America's government right now. You've probably had a conversation about work, about sports, about hobbies. You've probably talked about your frustrations. Conversations happen on a, on a daily basis. But when was the last time you had a conversation that included talk about Christ? I mean, seriously, when was the last time you saw an opportunity to speak at work about Jesus and you stepped into that opportunity? When was the last time you guys were sitting around the table talking about sports and the leaders on the field and you said, you know what, I found that the leadership in my life starts with Jesus when was the last time, time you gals were around a coffee table and somebody started to share the juicy details about somebody else's problems and you said, hey, why don't we, why don't we pray for that person? Why don't we encourage them in Christ? You see, we have hundreds, maybe even thousands of conversations on a regular basis. But what I fear is very little of those conversations have anything to do with, with Jesus. One of the very last conversations Jesus had why he was on this earth was with his disciples. It would have been just moments before he ascended into heaven. It's found in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 28, and it says this. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. What's that say in a nutshell? It says, start having conversations about Christ. Go tell others about who Jesus is. Invite them to worship. Invite them to share in the faith that you have. There's an old, old song that used to say, go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is Lord. You know, Matt shared with us last week that the typical churchgoer in America, uh, 80% of those people have said, I have not and I will not invite somebody to church with me, even though 82% of the people that they would invite to church would accept the invitation, would have the conversation about faith. You know, Bethany, this church exists to exalt the name of Jesus Christ as Savior so that everyone would come to know Jesus, that they would live free, find purpose, and be difference makers. And I think we can do better at this. You know, I think it's our mission to be going. I think that's what that passage in Matthew 28 challenges us to. But are we willing to take the risk to find our ones and to have those conversations? This is, my, uh, this is my son. He's 17 months old, Ezekiel. Um, and uh, Ezekiel is... 
Well, he's full of adventure, like total boy. I have a daughter as well, two daughters, um, and he's totally different than the two girls. Uh, he just always wants to be on the move, on the go. He doesn't like to sit still. Um, and uh, adventure happens in all kinds of different places for him. Maybe adventure is walking around the, uh, the hotel. That's where this one picture was taken. I was at a hotel last weekend, and he wanted to walk around the hotel on the sidewalk like, I don't know, a couple hundred times, I felt like. You know, just like... We're seeing the same things, kid. Come on, man. Uh, you know, adventure is him running out into the middle of a street when cars are coming right at him. Uh, adventure to him is uh, stepping off the curb, uh, even though the curb is half as tall as he is. Uh, adventure is running down the hill uh, as fast as the little chubby legs will take him, uh, even though he face-planted royally the time before. Um, he's just full of adventure. But what I've learned is somewhere between like adolescence and adulthood, we lose this desire for adventure, and instead we start to live for structure and routine. See, I think something very similar happens in our faith. When we first experience the life-changing relationship with Christ, there's often this fervor and joy for the Lord. It's kind of contagious. I've seen it in some of you, uh, those that have made decisions uh, recently in the Lord. Uh, but somewhere between our baptism and like regular church going, we start to lose that enthusiasm. One scholar said it like this, we've gotten over our salvation. Wow. You know, there's a recent study that showed that only about 21% of churchgoers invite someone to join them for worship. But for me, the more disappointing fact of that is this, only 2%, 2% of the 21 uh, percent that are invited are unchurched, like they don't go to church somewhere else. It's only 2% of the people that could be reached for the gospel are being reached in America. It's like we, we settle for mediocre faith, like we're willing to just, you know what, I don't need to take any, any risk. You know, in the book of Revelation, Jesus um, is speaking um, to uh, seven churches, it says, and he, he's speaking to churches that really are kind of battling the same thing that we do. And it says this in Revelation 2, yet I hold this against you. You've forsaken the love you had at first. Or later on in chapter 3, I know you inside and out, and I find little to my liking. You're not cold. You're not hot. Far better to be either cold or hot. You're stale. You're stagnant. You make me want to vomit. It is almost like Jesus knew this was going to happen. It's almost like Christ knew when he was on this earth that at some point we were going to start to measure the strength of our faith by our, by our church attendance and by how often we read the Bible and by what we did and didn't do if we didn't do bad things, especially really bad things. He knew if we were going to surround ourselves with people that, that thought like us and looked like us and did what we did. And that would, well, that would then in turn make us feel good about ourselves. He seemed to know that it would be easy, easy to fall into complacency and to forget the purpose of having risky faith and calling others to that faith. You see, our mission is to go, and I believe that's why Jesus laid out Luke 15. We're going to be in Luke 15 over the next few weeks. I want you to turn over there with me this morning. It's on page 848 in the Bibles that are right in front of you, Luke chapter 15. Now, there are three stories that are shared in Luke 15 of the lost. Um, some actually refer to this chapter of Scripture as the trilogy of the lost because of these 
three stories. But what I love about them is it's like an opening to who God is. Like, this is the moment where Jesus is saying, this is God's heart. This is the theology of God himself. This is how much God cares about the one and what he's willing to do for that one. You know, recently we began singing a song of worship here at Bethany called Reckless Love. Now, if you look at the term reckless as meaning unplanned, careless, or fly by the seat of your pants, let me just tell you this. That song, bad theology. <laughs> but I don't believe that's what was meant by the songwriter. God himself definitely is, is not crazy. But in some sense, the way God loves us is at times reckless. Think about God's love. God's love is not concerned with his own safety. God's love is not concerned with his well-being. God's love is not concerned with his feelings. God's love is not shrewd. It's not self-motivated. God's love is not dependent on our response. God's love is instead full-on. Give it his all. It's worth everything. It's willing to sacrifice his very best. And he gives us that love knowing what our response will be. For some, it's going to be complete denial. For others, pure hatred. And at best, it's going to be a mistake-filled response. But he still gives out that love. Now, I personally might not use the term reckless. There's no question to me that God's love is risky. Which means, in turn, that we have to be people that are willing to risk, to take risk, to go after our one. And, well, those people in our sphere of influence, the ones that are in our sphere of influence, when we go out to reach them, let's just say they're not going to be in our comfort zone, right? The people that are our ones that are in our sphere of influence are not going to be inside of our comfort zone. You know, the zone where you feel safe, right? <laughs> the zone where like, you feel confident, the zone where you have that warm, fuzzy feeling inside and you go, oh, I feel pretty good about this, right? It's probably going to take some risk to step out and to reach that one outside of your comfort zone, but still inside of your sphere of influence. So there's a risk in going to the one. Listen to what it says in verses 3 and 4 of that passage in Luke 15. It says, Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? He said, it says, he leaves the 99 in open country. Actually, some translations say that he leaves them in the wilderness. That involves risk. Now, yes, the sheep are going to herd together. The 99 for a time are going to be able to take care of themselves. Still, there's a risk. Going into open country um, to search after a sheep, going into the wilderness had its risk. Ask King David. King David was a man of the Old Testament, right? And David, uh, David was a shepherd uh, in his early years. And David would have told you that in order to protect his flock, he had to kill a lion and a bear, right? That means it was, it was risky to go out looking for the sheep all by yourself, trying to find it. There was a risk that was being taken inside of that. The shepherd going after his sheep is powerful imagery. Because a shepherd... Uh, a shepherd's name would have, uh, he would have probably been a, a hired hand, right? There was somebody that owned those sheep, and uh, if he was to have lost the sheep, he was to have lost money, or maybe lost reputation, or maybe lost his job, because the sheep held 
Now, right, that, that means the sheep held value in the shepherd's eyes, right? The sheep had purpose in the shepherd's eye. The sheep um, was something that he did not want to lose. He wanted to make sure he took care of his sheep. There was a risk, but it was worth the cost to go after the sheep. Three weeks ago, um, we began sharing with you our hopes as a leadership to go and begin ministering to the community of Vincennes. In some sense, Vincennes has been laid on our heart as a church, um, as our one, you could say. Uh, We believe there are men and women that are lost in addiction, that are living in broken families, that are unfulfilled, that have pain in their life, who are lost and without the hope of Jesus and don't have a church that is actively reaching out to them to show them who Christ is, and they live just 20 miles down the road from us. You may have caught it, though, a few weeks ago as we shared this. Like, we don't know all the details. <laughs> We're not sure how all the, the I's are going to get dotted and all the T's are going to get crossed. Going to Vincennes raises a lot of questions and the unknown, but, but we believe Vincennes fits inside of this church's sphere, Right? of our sphere of influence, and we believe that so much so that we are preparing ourselves to make this happen. But that takes risk. Now, some of you might be a part of that risk. Maybe you're going to commit over the next year to planning yourself and being a part of the foundation of a church there, to helping for a season or committing to make that place your place for years to come. Now, you think about the one person in your life. Really think about it. You got them? You got them in your head right now? We were defining them last week. Hopefully you've been thinking about them over this last week. If you haven't, start thinking about them. Who is that one person? Now, my guess is that one person isn't just some sort of like obscure individual. Like, oh yeah, it's that person right there off the, off the street as you're driving by him. No, right? That person, that person holds some value in your life. I had a gal come up to me after first service. She said, my one's my dad. That person has some sort of value in your life. They're a friend. They're a family member. They're somebody that you care deeply about. What risk is going to happen in you going to that person? Maybe for you, the risk is like figuratively or literally, they're gonna have, you're going to have the door slammed in your face. Maybe the risk is a phone call that that person's not expecting um, that is kind of awkward at a, at a moment. Maybe the risk is questions that they have and answers that you don't have. Maybe the risk is them calling you out on your past and you having to relive the sins that you know Jesus has already forgiven you of. Maybe the risk is opening your heart one more time, finding hope that once again, maybe they're going to they're gonna change, only to have them leave you disheartened yet again. Maybe the risk is your time. Maybe the risk is your energy. Maybe the risk is your funds. Maybe the risk is your resources. Maybe the risk is some sort of vulnerability, some sort of normalcy in your life. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and he loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? You see, the risk is worth going. But your one has value and that is worth every bit of the risk. But that's not the only risk. Like you're not only going to risk when you go, you're going to risk things when you show them love. 
When you're strategic about the one, it's going to take you into places that maybe you didn't see yourself going into. It's going to put you in places where maybe others are going to have their certain opinion of you. Uh, In Luke 15, as the the story opens and begins uh, in verses 1 and 2, before Jesus even told the parable, this is what it says. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus hasn't even begun to share the parable yet, and he's already teaching. He's teaching that, you know what? I'm willing to go. That all people hold value. Remember what Luke 14 said last week? Right? The house isn't full, and so the owner wants us to go out and to compel others. God desires his house to be full. And Jesus showed us that when he met with tax collectors and sinners. That was a risky move of Jesus' though. Right? To meet with these men that had, well, they had a certain aura about them. They had a certain opinion in society about who they were. Um, being with them was not his way of condoning their actions, but it was his way of showing that he cared. And in the process of showing them love, there was a risk, a risk that the religious elite would begin to write off Jesus. You see, showing love to our one will often put us in places that are risky. Ask the people that minister to 1% motorcycle clubs and ask them what the mainstream church thinks of them. Ask those who minister to folks that are lost in addiction, that found themselves in difficult places when the addict that they are helping to walk out of that addiction calls them and says, I've relapsed, I'm at the dealer's house, will you come pick me up? Ask them what they've had to do when they've bailed that person out of jail for a second or third time and they're trying to get them on their feet to rehabilitate them, to get them to a place where they're no longer being driven by a drug, but they're driven by Christ. Ask Michael and Tracy Mathis, who uh, own Rockstar Tattoo, right here in our town, who also partner in the ministry of Bethany. Now, some of you already have your opinions of this. Some of you might think, what's a Christian person doing, doing, owning a tattoo parlor anyways? I'm sure that they've had ridicule through the years because of what they do. But you ask them about the doors that that business has opened up to them. You ask them about the lives of the ones that they have been able to talk to. The risk, they'll tell you, was worth every bit of it. Now, they're not always condoning the actions of the people that walk in their door looking for some new ink, but they are changing their hearts. One conversation at a time. One new tattoo at a time. One hurt patron in a difficult place and a tough time in their life at a time. You see, their show of Jesus to the one is worth the risk. That's that's what showing Christ to your one includes. It includes a risk. Like students, some of you are, you, maybe your one is a, a person that you know sits at a table oftentimes all by themselves at lunch, and you're inviting them to your table, you're going to sit with them, and that means you're going to lose some of the circle of friends that you have. Maybe for you, it's showing that addict that you love them, but there's a difficult balance there. How do I show them I love them without condoning their actions? How do I make sure that I'm there for them, but I'm not enabling them? Maybe it's calling a family member who's been estranged for years because of what he or she did, but that's going to actually leave you estranged from some of your own family because you've reached out to them. Maybe it's reaching out to the neighbor, and the neighbor is, well, everybody's got their opinion of that neighbor, but you, you know that you need to do something for them, and that then starts to get people thinking about who you are. If Jesus' life taught us anything, it taught us this, 
that the people that were supposed to have known the most missed out on the best, right? The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they were so concerned with their religiosity, their practices, the things that they, they felt were the right, that they missed what they missed. They missed Jesus in front of them. But that show of love was worth the cost to Jesus, showing them that he cared for, for all people was the risk that he took, a risk that eventually took his life. But showing them he cared was worth that risk. Maybe it's not risking showing somebody love. Maybe it's just the risk that it's going to change up your daily pattern. Like it's going to change the flow of your, your life. Look back at, at verse 4 in our passage this morning. It says this. Suppose one of you has a, a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in open country and go after the loss until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders, right? The shepherd doesn't just find the sheep. The shepherd shepherds the sheep, and the shepherd brings the sheep home, which takes work, right? It takes work to go after our one, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to change our trajectory. It's going to change our flow. It's going to change the path of our life. Ask anybody that's come to know and follow Jesus wholeheartedly. Ask Peter. Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. Peter was just a fisherman, all right? Like, that's what he made his living doing, casting a net off the side of the boat, throwing the, the rod and reel in. He, he sat out that he, he fished for a living. Jesus comes along. He says, Peter, why don't you come follow me? Peter gets up. He begins to follow Jesus. For three years, he walks with this man uh, and follows Jesus. Now he's no longer a fisherman. Now he's a fisher, uh, not a fish, but a fisher of, of, of men, you could say. His life is completely changed by the call to follow Jesus. Ask Matthew. Matthew was also a disciple. He was a tax collector. Now, tax collectors in that day, um, they weren't just like the IRS of, of today for us. Like Tax collectors, um, they would have cut off some more on the top of what was being taken. Like, here's what the government's asking. Here's what I'm asking. And I get a little bit extra. Matthew was probably pretty wealthy. He probably had a lot of, a lot of money. Jesus says, come follow me. Matthew gives up his money bags. He starts to follow Jesus. Now he doesn't have a lot of money. Now he doesn't even know where he's going to lay his head at night. His trajectory, his path has totally changed. Ask the apostle Paul. Paul was said to have been a, just like a total religious zealot. Like, he was the guy, like, man, just was, like, over the top about his faith. For the Jewish faith, that was. And uh, it was a protected faith. And so he comes to follow Jesus, which is not a protected faith uh, in that day. And, well, he finds himself beaten. He finds himself imprisoned. He finds himself being chased down. And eventually, all three of these men lost their life because of the cause of Christ. Total trajectory change, right? Total path. Like their life was flowing one way and all of a sudden the flow got a lot different. But you ask those men, I'm sure, someday when we stand in heaven and we stand beside these guys, they'd say it was worth every cost. There was risk and it did change the flow of their life. It makes me think of the Paul family. The Paul family are missionaries that we support here at Bethany um, through a ministry in India. Um, we're actually going to have the, the joy of having them with us in November um, but let me just tell you this. Uh, their ministry is, gosh, doing some amazing things. They have a hospital, an orphanage, um, school. Uh, just, oh, I mean, you, you talk about it, they're probably doing it, and they're ministering to all kinds of ones in India. Um, but when the Paul family decided to be Christians, 
When they started marking on their census in India that they were Christians, they lost all rights, really. Right? There's a caste system in India, and uh, that means uh, certain people have, uh, have, uh, have money and follow a certain religious practice. Um, they get certain benefits, and there's so on and so forth. Well, they're, they're really not even considered on the system. Like, they're the lowest of the low in the India caste system. And uh, that, could, that could seem difficult, especially for people that these are well-educated people, they're smart, and they're doing the right things. But they'll tell you this. It was worth it. They'll tell you, now nah, they don't receive any sort of welfare from the government. It's just another opportunity for them to say, yeah, our welfare comes from God. It's another opportunity to say, this is how we can reach our one. And it is so worth it. How's reaching your one going to change just like the flow of your life? What might it look like for you to take that step to really invest in the person that you've identified? What will, what will carrying the sheep back home look like for you? You know, I talked to a stay-at-home mother this week, and uh, she's identified her neighbor as her one. And uh, she said, you know, I, uh, I've got two little ones, uh, one who's in uh, first year of elementary school, she said, like, my days are just crazy. Like, between dropping her off, getting the kids to their normal nap time so they're not crazy, uh, making sure I get the groceries done or do the housework. She said, look, I, I know it sounds crazy, but, like, I have got to schedule into my day, like, a moment to go over and talk with my neighbor. Like, there's something I have to do. Like, it's going to change the flow of my day. Maybe for you it's going to change up your lunch hour because you're going to decide to go out to lunch with that person, or it's going to change your, your dinner one evening, and you're going to invite them over to dinner. Maybe it's going to change what your Sunday morning looks like, right? I know there's some people that are like, dude, noon is still too early for me. I'm not coming to church with you, all right? Uh, and so you can say, hey, don't matter. We got a service at 6 p.m. on that Sunday, so come with me, right? Um, noon doesn't have to be uh, too early any longer, right? Maybe your flow risk will eventually take you to Vincennes and see you planning yourself there in the year to come. Maybe it'll have you joining your one at our Celebrate Recovery Ministry, just so they know that somebody is there with them that uh, can encourage them and be there with them as they walk out of struggles or habits that they have. Maybe it's going to be opening up your house for a season to a foster child. You see, reaching your one is going to change your trajectory. It's going to change the flow of your life, but it will help to see that person come to know Jesus. And that risk, that risk is worth every bit of the cost. Ellen is my uh, 24-year-old sister-in-law. She's not a perfect person. She'd be the first to admit that to you. But about two years ago, her church in Virginia, uh, Brentwood Church, um, they went through a series kind of similar to ours. They called it One. had the same purpose. Find that one person that you want to know to come Jesus and start encouraging them to do just that. Ellen's choice was her uncle. She said it was immediate. It's like, as soon as our pastor laid that out, she said, I knew that was my guy. Now, her uncle was, was Dave, and Dave was in his mid-60s. Dave lived six and a half hours from where she lived, but she said, I just knew that Dave was my one. And so, she said, I began sending text messages to him. Here and there, I would send a message, and then that started to open doors for conversations about faith. And she said, whenever I just felt the nudge of the Spirit to send a scripture or to call him or to talk with him about something, I did it. And for a year and a half, that's exactly what she did. She poured into this guy, and she did it in the midst of some of the most difficult moments of her own personal life, just to see Dave's life change for the gospel. You know, three months ago, Dave came to visit with uh, our family, 
And late one evening, Dave opened up about how God had been stirring in his heart. He said how our family had had an influence on him, had showed him Jesus, but he said it was those risky conversations from that 24-year-old niece of mine. He actually almost said it in like frustration, like, oh man, I was so tired. It was like it always came at the right time, right when I needed to hear it, and it was exactly what I needed to hear. He said it was, I, I've got to do something. You could just see it in him. And we're talking about this, and I said, Dave, why don't you come to church with us tomorrow? So Dave came to, to Bethany. It's probably only the second time he had been to church in about 40 years, and uh, Dave made a decision of faith, and I want to show that to you. You know, the risk, the risk is always, always worth it. You know, that passage uh, of Luke 15, the story we're looking at this morning, really only covers four verses. Listen to it again. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep, and he loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home, and then he calls all of his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. You see, there is no question that pursuing the one is worth the risk. But when the one is found, whew, whew, that's an amazing, amazing moment. You know, our family has never rejoiced the way we rejoice there. You know, for me, it was just a reminder that God can change even the hardest of hearts. It's a testimony to the power of the gospel. So here's my challenge to you this week. What risk are you going to take? What risk are you going to take? What are you going to do to reach out to that one person? Maybe it's a phone call. Like some of you are saying, look, it's not that risky for me. Like, I, I'm not going to, like, lose my life for this. I'm not going to necessarily be in a vulnerable spot. Maybe it's not something crazy. Maybe it is. Maybe it's a phone call. Maybe it's an invite to lunch. Maybe it's a, a dinner at your house. Maybe it's you saying, can I tell you my story? Can I tell you about how Jesus has affected my life? Maybe it's you just saying, let me meet you where you're at and take you to where you need to be. You see, I don't know what you need to do but I know that you can do it through the power and strength that God gives you. And man, I can tell you, I know it's worth it. It's worth the cost. Suppose, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and he loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in an open country and go after the sheep until he finds it? We're going to worship here in a moment and close out our service by singing and, uh, you know, for some of you, you're, you're like, hey, like last week I heard that message. I didn't really identify that person. Like I was just like, oh, good message, Matt. Awesome job. Uh, and you're like, I need, to, I need to do that. I need to identify that person. So here's what I want you to do. During this song, I want you to find that person in your heart. 
It's not somebody crazy, right? This is somebody close to you, somebody that you care about, somebody that holds value in your life. I want you to identify that person and start thinking about ways that you can reach them. For others, you're like, okay, had the person in mind, didn't realize what I was going to have to do to reach that person. It's going to be risky. You're like, I know what steps I need to take, but I'm scared to take those steps. Maybe you just say, I want to pray about it. Do you want to pray at your seat? You want to pray at these steps? You want to come over here and meet with me and pray with a minister? I'd love to, to pray with you about that, whatever step that may be. For others, like you're in this room, you're hearing about this thing to call other people to, to something, and you're like, I don't know Jesus myself. Can I tell you something? This story, remember we talked about at the front end? This is the story of God's heart for us. You're not the 99. You're the one. And you are worth every bit of the cost. Jesus is coming after you. There's a reason you're here in this place at this moment to make a decision of faith. I'd love to get into that baptistry and help you take that first step of faith. You, look, you can't bring something, uh, somebody to something you don't already know yourself. And you need to start there first. So whatever decision you have, I want you guys to make those decisions this morning. Let's stand. We're going to sing of the reckless love of God and how it will chase us down and find us and find us.